Welcome to the Staff Lounge. It is a non-rainy day today, one of very few in the last month or two or three. And we're here today to talk about the ABCs of education. We're continuing our countdown to the letter R. R. We are ready. <laughs> but we have to start out with um, some something special. Yeah. Is it a top five? Yeah, it's like our, you know, five things that favorites that start with R. Okay. You know, so I thought, what is your uh, favorite recess activity? Swinging. Swinging. I love the swings. In fact, if I ever take my kids out for recess and they need me, they know to look at the swings. Here's a little secret. When you're swinging on the swings, no, you can't react super fast, but you can see everything from those heights. That's true. I'm telling you. Yeah. It's fabulous. Yeah. Um, I would actually probably pick the swings as well. I liked them as a kid, and I like them now. I yeah. just don't like the tire swings that spin. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. That's like instant vomit for and me. And for me, it was really bad for a couple of years after I had my hip surgeries because it was like those rubber seats that hug your hips. Yeah. They literally would turn me inside out. Yeah. I have noticed on playgrounds that there seems to be fewer swings you know, like just a couple instead of like all the swings like we yeah. had when we were kids. Which is sad. And it causes issues. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, next one. What's your favorite read? Like something you've read lately? Um, that... Well, we've gone over this before. My favorite author is Patricia Cornwell. And man, I just, I can read her stuff over and over and over. So oh. Patricia Cornwell. Right now, I've really been into reading books about uh, long arm quilting. Of right course. now I'm reading one called Meandering, and it's about all the different um, meanders you, you can quilt and exactly how to do them. I mean, mm. like, step by step with arrows. And really? It's, yeah, pretty cool. Um, and it's not something you have to start at the beginning. You know, I just open yeah. up to a section and look sure. at it, and then I doodle. That's super cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, I love your doodles. Oh, thanks. Uh, what's your favorite rom-com movie? Uh, that's freaking easy. Uh, Serendipity. I've never I seen that one. Love Serendipity. You've got to you've got to watch it. Huh. It's it's Brian's and my like it's our movie. We love it. It was one of the first shows that we ever watched together and I think when we first started dating, we literally watched it like every night. It was wow. so it's so good. I'll have to add it to the list. Do it. Um I really like the proposal which is Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Um, it cracks me up every time, um, and I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Anything um, with Ryan Reynolds in it is oh, hilarious. And he's nice to look at. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I have two more. What's your favorite thing to do at a resort? Um, well, I mean, <coughs> excuse me, reading at the pool. I love to stand in the pool, you know, leaning against the side with my yummy, yummy sugar-loaded drink and alcohol, <laughs> and uh, just relaxing at the pool. Yeah, I would say my biggest thing is the relaxing at the pool or the beach or whatever. Yeah. Relaxing, though, is probably the, yeah. the key word. I like all the activities you can do, too, but I do not want every day filled with those. Yeah, no, we tried that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I would much rather <laughs> chill for a, a lot of it. Uh-huh. Last one, and this is very random. I had a hard time finding one. What's your favorite, like, raw food? Probably a vegetable or a fruit, but maybe not. Uh, mm. 
You go first. Me first? Well, I oh. with my food allergies, I used to love apples, like straight off the tree. Yeah. Can't do that. So I got to rethink it. Mine's probably bananas. Oh, really? Yeah. Bananas. Okay, I'm going to ruin your banana thing because bananas legitimately, they have the right precise day when they're yummy well, of course. and sweet, not too soft and squishy, not too hard and like, ooh. I could leave this out for well, a couple I, days. I'm not saying any banana. Okay. The perfect banana. The perfect banana for me, um, which means it's partly green. I don't like yellow. I'm going to say that because of my birch allergies, I can't eat these, but I can eat them out of the can. And so to me, that's a raw thing. Pears. I freaking love canned pears. Okay. That's the only way I can eat them. Yeah, but, but I mean, that's raw. You're not cooking them. No. But I didn't know if processed counted. Oh, who cares? Those are pretty it was processed. a weird category. Okay. Don't worry. Random. About it. R. It was random. So let's go back to our R discussion. And I'm really, really in love with this um, section because we've got so many things we can address. There are a lot. Um, I want to start with uh, ranges. Let's start in the middle of our list. Okay. Range. Because lots of people, and and I want to say that many parents don't understand that your child is a sixth grader, but they may be at a reading level of a third grader. And at a math level of a seventh grader. Or eighth grader. Yeah. And so when you look at a grade, a classroom, you never should be, I mean, in in my professional opinion, you never should just be opening the book and just being like, okay, we did page 12 yesterday. Today we're on 13 because some of your kids didn't get page 12. For sure. And I mean, you and I, you know, we agree on that. And yeah. In any classroom, you could have a range from pre-K kindergarten in an area mm-hmm. up to your grade level or beyond in yep. an area. And if you're just being, you know, the teacher that's only doing exactly what's in the book, you're going to leave out this whole section of your bell curve. Well, and not only that, but I think I think this year is going to be the year, like, our school now is doing iReady, as, as we're finally catching up to that. And I'm going to share with you that people are going to see that their child isn't at this grade level because it shows, the data shows their range, even just within math, like, uh, numbers and operations. He's third grade, sixth month. Uh, but in geometry, he's at a first grade level. He can't figure out which one is the cube, right? Like it is going to be eye opening, but I want to make sure people know it's not just in one isolated place. It's not just at our building. Like this is everywhere. And this is why it's important to have are educators always learning about differentiating? For sure. I mean, you and I being in this career as long as we have, like, we know what the public thinks. We think the public thinks we are teaching fourth grade, just teach fourth grade, yeah. right? Everyone's in fourth grade. Go to Costco, get and, the everybody yeah. what they need to know for fourth grade. And the sad grade. thing is that you and I both know some teachers mm-hmm. who believe that too. They just teach their book and they don't do any differentiating. Yeah. But they have to, like... You cannot give every kid what they need in a room by just doing your grade level come. No. And, um, yeah, and I think people are going to see that even more and more as class sizes are getting bigger and bigger. And then that range is getting, maybe the range itself isn't larger, but you have more kids in those areas. Yeah. It's not going to just be one or two kids that are 
you know, at a first grade level. You're well, going to have and here's what people need to know and remember. And I think educators have a hard time remembering this. But if you have a gap in kindergarten that is five points, in first grade, it could be 15 points. By the time they're in sixth grade, you're talking 50 points or more. Well, and really, by the time they're out of second grade, you're no longer doing that beginning learning to read. No. You've moved on. And a fifth grader who's at a first grade level is not going to get what they need from fifth grade come. Right. To fill those gaps. Well, and in anything. Right. In any way, shape, or form. And the difficulty with those ranges is as a primary student, your child doesn't recognize, oh, I don't get this. Everybody else gets it. But by the time they're in fourth, fifth, Mm -hmm. sixth grade... They recognize like, oh, I don't, I don't know what this is. How come everybody else is getting it? Right. And then you start to see more behaviors, which takes away from their learning, which just. Yeah. yeah. Well, and here's what I have done this year. Uh, I've done this for years, but really this year I have different colored paper. So um, we've been doing mastery of multiplication tables in fourth grade. You should know your ones through your tens, right? Like I'm not even going to give the tens because we know this. They should. Maybe I will. (laughs) I've got them run off, but, um, but I've got, so like the first page was yellow. Then I've got an, a goldenrod. Then I've got a green, then I've got a lavender. So on the, the way I have my files set up is just by number. Mm -hmm. I don't have kids names on it for this. And on the back of their paper, on the back of the papers, when I handed out the twos, I had everybody put their name and their cubby number. Nothing on the front. So then I say, three, two, one, go. And they turn it over. And when everybody's going, then I start the timer. And at the end of one minute, they pass them all to the left. And I collect them from those people. When I grade it, when I score those minute tests, if JC gets 100% on it, then I get the next colored paper. She's now on the threes and I put her name and cubby number so that like now I'm on the nines and I've got five nines, two eights, three sevens. Like I've got kids in all different colored papers and yes, they can see other people have different papers, but they, they've got to know like Everyone's moving on, and I'm yeah. still on the freaking green threes, right? But the cool thing is, because their stuff is on the back, I can stand at my files, and I can just see on the back it's number 21, and I open 21 and plop it. So when I pull a file out, it goes from 1 to 7, or however far they've gone, and it's so super efficient for me. I wish we would have been able to tie this back in organization, but... Really, the range of kids is staggering right now. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, the last, so my fourth graders are doing reading buddies. We'll get, we'll move into reading. But my fourth graders, the last time they had reading buddies, they were kindergartners. Wow. Because of COVID? Because of COVID. And um, so they've never been the big They've right. never been the big kid. And there was a, a Friday was the first time we did it. And we had it with fourth and second, our buddies. And I've been talking this up with my kids because 
some of my kids don't like to read out loud. Like, right. dude, on Friday, you're reading this book out loud, and it's not a book that you've had. This is a cold copy that your fourth, your second grader is bringing. Can't, are you going to have the confidence? I want you to be reading to your cat, read to your dog, read to your mom. So it was interesting. But let's talk about reading buddies. Let's talk about buddies, really. Did you, when you had a self-contained class... Right. Did your kids have a, were they partnered with people in the gen ed room? No, but I know other classes have done that before, but I mean, COVID was, yeah, you know, right. So, right, right, right. so no, but I mean, when I was a gen ed teacher, I had, you know, we had reading buddies. Um, but no, I really feel that a lot of that comes from teacher relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, it isn't something that's necessarily expected anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, so I hadn't had buddies in quite a while. Gotcha. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Yeah, because it's it really... great for them to have a partner. Yeah, and it's something that I remember from elementary school, yeah. having reading buddies. 100%. You know? And some of your kiddos are probably good readers. Oh, yeah, for sure. So let's talk about reading. Let's talk about reading from the self-contained perspective. How do your kids... How do you have them? Because some of yours were in the gen ed room for reading. Right. Um. So... You're making me, because I'm not a teacher anymore. I know. Everybody. I'm retired. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, reading in a self con any academic in a self-contained classroom is really difficult, because you have kids who really could be in a gen ed room if not for some of their extreme behaviors or their mm-hmm. social skills, right? And then you have some kids who are really at a preschool level for everything. Right. You know, and, and so... Non-verbal. And nonverbal. And so I had kids who would go out to gen ed classrooms um, and they would make, they would get that curriculum and a TA would go with them. And then sometimes there were some modified assignments or, you know, maybe some things that didn't count for them because mm-hmm. of like writing difficulties. Um, and then in my room, I really tried to just look at what is the range of kids I have left, which mm-hmm. sometimes was still big. Yeah. Huge. And um, try to use whatever the range of curriculum that I had that would work for them, which mm-hmm. was always the hard part because there wasn't um, sped curriculum that was really like an air curriculum. Almost yeah. everything was small group or one-on-one. But when I had like nine kids of my own to do, you know, I didn't have, I wasn't able to do one. Yeah. So everything had to be tweaked. Yeah. Um, you know, so a lot of practice with partners as much as we could, but partner work was really hard. Sure. And they're then, partnering with a TA. Usually. Yeah. So small group, we did whole group work because in middle school, I knew that they would have whole mm-hmm. group work. And if they ever got out into gen ed rooms, there would be whole group work. So I tried to make sure we practiced that. Um, and so for reading, if you have a kid that's going or two kids going to, say, my sixth grade class, mm-hmm. are you... Am I taking any grades on it, or is you the would, TA? Nope, you would be the you're their teacher. teacher. They Te- would be the on teacher your of roster. Yeah, yeah, because gotcha. I w- they would not be with me for any reading. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes that got to be a little like bit of a slippery slope. Yeah. You know, um, but I would have to have a good relationship with whatever teacher and make sure that they understood their role. And the accommodations that the student needed. Yes, all of that. The TA usually did a lot of that stuff. Sure. But the teachers... So let's let's transition to records and record keeping. Um, We kind of talked about it with data collection. um, But I will say that keeping record of 
everything is critical. And I remember this from what, 30 years ago in college, you know, they were like, keep your notes, keep your notes, keep, keep notes on everything. Well, you had a parent call, you had a student interaction, you had a student cheat on something like you need to be able to recall what happened, what day it was, when it was, because, and I get it now. Like, I totally get it. I prefer to email families as opposed to call because a call is not recorded. Yeah. If the parent responds, if the parent, you know, jumps down your throat or says, oh my gosh, I'm going to the principal, you were just offensive. I can literally pull up that Mm -hmm. email. I can forward it to the principal. Um, Emails are legal documents, like in the court of law. Emails are legal documents, yep, and it is up. critical for you to make sure you can always support yourself. But also, not even those records. There's just a lot of records in a building. If you think about everything that the office has yeah. on every child and their parents, there's medical records. There are, yeah. are like, just in SPED, I, I have my data, I have their working file, and then I have to have their data file, and I'm still taking grades. Right. You know, I mean, we... There is so much paperwork on every child out there. Yeah. And in a private school, some of our kids are dually enrolled. Like they may be going to a homeschool program. They may be assigned to or registered in a homeschool program, but they're taking their tuition money and they're paying my school. And so some of like my academic plan, my, you know... Uh, curriculum outline for the whole year, I have to give them copies of that because they take that to their homeschool program and the homeschool then gets a copy. Right. So it's it's an interesting thing, but it's official, right? Yeah. It's all records. And there are a lot of um, rules about records and who can have them and who can access them and yeah. when parents can have them. And so there's a lot about that as well. Right. So let's talk about reflection. Sure. Uh, do you want to go first? Do you have any thoughts? What's your gut instinct when I say um, reflection? Reflection for me, I would think more on the teacher's end, although mm-hmm. I know, you know, it's kids too, but um, I think it's really important as a teacher to reflect on the things that you're doing and to think about how you could change it to be better. Yeah. And part of that reflection should be looking at data and seeing what the data says and maybe realizing that, hey, what I'm doing is not working. And I need to change things. Right. And I think a lot of teachers shy away from that. They don't like to admit that maybe what they're doing isn't working. (laughs) You know, but I think it's really important to think about those things and do what's best for your students, but also to do what's best for yourself. When I retired, it took a lot of self-reflection on like what I felt I needed and what this would do to like community of my classroom, but really, you know, and your ref- professional community yeah, on right? that, but really, you know, a ref- reflection on where am I as a person and what do I need to do? Um, I think it's really important. I mean, no one wants to be stuck in a rut in any part of their life. You don't want to be stuck in a rut in the classroom. Right. I mean, that's what I think of. So when I think of reflection, I think of my job reflecting on, hmm. Do they really get these multiplication tables? Like maybe I'm going too fast. Do I need to go get the third grade book to see if how much of it was really Mm -hmm. covered? But I also need 
to remember that there has to be a time in your lessons for student reflection. Yes. It's really important for a kid to say, hmm, I really understood this part, but I don't, I know I didn't get this part. And part of our old, old, old ASD curriculum, everyday math, was really good with that. At the end of a unit, there was an actual self-reflection page in the journal where they put little, in primary, it was like, did I get a smiley face? Do I have a, you know, even-lipped face? Do I have a sad face? How do I feel about my addition this week? Because it's important for kids and, you know, brain research shows, it's important for you to understand, like, man, I didn't get that. Or... I really mastered this. I could help somebody else with that. Well, and I remember at one point we were giving kids like little checkout sheets and it started as like one thing I learned, two questions I have. It was an exit ticket. Yeah, but then they turned into problems that kids had to solve instead of like having them reflect. Reflect. I feel that it changed really quickly. Well, an exit ticket back in the day was like, here's my review of how you did, or here's my review of how I feel like I did. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it became, I and I feel like, fairly, I think, it came down from administration. You need to get raw data. Yep, so it was a data So you need to point. get your kids to turn in this, use this as a math exit yeah, ticket, it, use this as a science exit ticket. Yeah, and it's like, it definitely turned away from a reflection point of for the kids and for you to be able to be like, oh, this this group really didn't understand this. Or yeah. these kids all have the same question. That's really random. Right. To being a data point. Yeah. And, you know, here's the thing. Uh, I want to just say this because this is kind of my reflection on data for schools. Maybe, what, eight or ten years ago, the data dashboard appeared Mm -hmm. for ASD. And that's about the time the attitude in buildings changed because anyone could see your school's data. Yep. So behaviors were not documented. Uh, In fact, in their Q program uh, online for report cards and that kind of stuff... There's specific verbiage you cannot use when you are reporting a an incident with a right. student, right? Like a principal will literally come back at you and say you cannot use willful disobedience. And you as can't a word. use the word assault. You can't use this. Yeah. You can't use the word sexual harassment. You can't use yeah. privates. You can't like you can't describe mm-hmm. what really happened because it's going to flag our school. And so. Record keeping, reporting, data driven responses and reflecting like these are all critical things, but all of it relates to how it how is our school being looked at? Yeah. And I feel my brother and I both agreed maybe five years ago. We would never want to work at a school with perfect data because we know that doesn't exist. Right. It literally doesn't exist. We're talking about kids. Well, it's like when you would get a student. And with within that first week, they've been suspended, right? But they came from another building. And your principal's like, well, that building didn't report anything. And it's uh-huh. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, I do feel like we've gone away from a lot of our honesty in reporting. Yeah. Um, I definitely always tried my best to be honest without using some of those words they wanted, you know, didn't yeah. want. Yeah. Well, but, and um, recording it, 
every time it happened. Right. So that you could see that this is, this kid has a history, but Because covering stuff up doesn't help kids. Well, and it doesn't. And, ugh, it's it's frustrating. Yeah, for sure. Um, So do you have a word? We're just about, we're just about it. Let's talk about rubrics real quick. Okay. I... When I first started teaching, like, I was all about rubrics, and there was, like, the six traits of writing, and there were rubrics. Uh Um, But I, and I always, I liked them as a teacher, but then I found that they've really gone by the wayside in recent years, at least from what I've seen. Um, But I, and I also found, though, that it was often hard to use them accurately. Uh Do you remember we had to get in those big six trait of writing groups, and you would have to, like, test against each other to... Um, calibrate and then you would read those things and like three people would read one um, when I worked at a title one school and I mean rubrics are a great idea but they are really hard to actually follow yeah I mean they are well I mean so here's my thing about a rubric and as a sixth grade person traditionally I used rubrics a lot Mm -hmm. I spent hours making my rubrics, re- rewording my rubrics based on the levels of the kids, right? But I look at a rubric as something you're giving at the beginning so that a kid can go, hmm, self-reflection. Does mine meet this four or is it a three or is it a two or is it a one? Does mine meet this category in a four, three, two, or one? And oftentimes when a project is done and I haven't had them turn it in yet, you know, say it's due in two days, I'll have the parent, I'll ask the parent to score it. Using this rubric, I want you to go over it with your child. And oftentimes the, you know, the grade that I give meets the grade that they would be giving because yeah, you have no periods, you have no punctuation, you've got run on sentences or man, you just didn't even talk about that part of it. And so it's great, but I used it not necessarily for grading specifically, yeah. but more in reflection of like, do I want to get an A or do I want to get a B? Like, okay. Well, and it also helps for a teacher if you have one to start with, that it really helps you like form your project, you know? Yes. And so that helps you realize what your expectations are. Yep. And then you can clearly tell the kids like, these are the things I'm looking for. hundred percent. You know? Um, so I do like that about it. I just really feel like in some areas that at least our district dropped it as a district. Yeah. Like, I felt like writing really went by the wayside as a district. Well, writing in general. Yeah. Um, But even, like, for science. Yeah. I mean, rubrics are used for just about everything. Yeah. Okay. I I think... I think we're good. Yeah, I think we're good, too. We covered some some other things we could have talked about. Role play. Um, we could have talked about... Uh, recess. Recess. But we kind of hit on... We could have talked more about reading, but we've talked a lot about reading on this podcast. We have. We yeah. have. So, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for making it down to the R's. Next week, we've got S. S. It's going to be exciting. All right. See you later. Have a good one.